Let's pray together. Father, we come now to open this book. These words that came inspired by your mighty Holy Spirit from your very mind and heart. Words for us to not only hear, but to live. So we pray, Father, now as we turn our attention to this word, we pray for our ears and our minds to be opened and enlightened by your spirit. And we commit ourselves to hearing and responding to your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Open up my eyes. Show me who you are. That's what we just sang. Which kind of goes along with part two of my 2020 vision. Two weeks ago, I shared part one of this 2020 vision. Maybe some of you remember. Or maybe like me, you've slept since then. Uh, you shared? I don't, I don't remember that. Yeah. Where are you? Where are you in terms of your relationship to the Father? Where are you in terms of your relationship to each other? Where are you in relationship to your gifts and callings and talents? Are we individually and corporately in the place that Father wants us to be at this moment in our lives? Growing, maturing, healthy, useful. It's a good thing. It's a necessary thing to know where you are. If you have GPS, which I don't. Or have Google Maps or MapQuest or one of those things, you need to enter a starting point and a destination. If you don't have a destination entered, your starting point's rather worthless to you. So since all of us now for sure, 100% and 100% certain of where we are, right? Can we now pinpoint our destination? So I offer you part two of this 2020 vision, looking for a city. Looking for a city. Genesis chapter 10 is where we'll start. Genesis 10, verse 8. Cush became the father of Nimrod. He became a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Erech, and Akkad, and Kalna, in the land of Shinar. From that land he went forth into Assyria, and built Nineveh, Rehoboth-ir, and Calah, and Rezin, between Nineveh and Calah, that is the great city. 
Nimrod was the great-grandson of Noah. And the scriptures tell us here that he was a mighty one in the earth. His fame came from for two reasons. He was a mighty hunter, so great that the proverb resulted, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. But he also became renowned for his city building. He was a builder of cities, Babel, and those mentioned here, including Rezin, the great city. Probably none of these we've ever heard of except for one, Babel. Wherever Nineveh went, people followed. His cities became filled with citizens. He had a formula. And around his formula, he gathered a following. All of us, to some extent, try to build around our ideas, our impressions, our truths, our leadings. Business people try to build a clientele. Someone opens a new restaurant. They want the restaurant to work, to last, to stay open. So we visit, we form an impression. And if our impression is good or bad, probably some of us go and tell other people about it. It has a reputation. Its reputation is built over time. One of Nimrod's more famous cities was Babel, Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words, and it came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and tar for mortar. And they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven and let us make for ourselves a name. Lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. And you know what happened after that. We spend our lives looking for some place to settle in spiritually, geographically. Some truth around which to build our lives. Some group to join with who seem like-minded. It's human nature to want to settle down. It's a God-given desire to look for a city. Listen to these verses from Matthew chapter 9. Jesus said to them, The attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. But no one puts a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away, and a worse tear results. Nor do men put new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wineskins burst. The wine pours out. The wineskins are ruined. Rather, they put new wine into fresh wineskins. Both are preserved. 
All the wine in Europe is useless. Unless it has some container to hold it. Be that a vat, a bottle. A container gives the wine definition, shape, and form. We identify new wine symbolically with the Holy Spirit. And so what Jesus is saying is that when new wine is put into old forms or old institutions, these institutions must change or they will burst. The new wine of the Spirit is ever new, ever changing, ever fresh. And so must our organizations and our institutions and our attitude be ever poised to change when the new wine of his spirit flows in us in a new way. Sadly, however, it is also man's tendency to resist change. Here in Genesis chapter 11, we just read that instead of stone, they use brick. Instead of mortar, they use tar. Bricks are not natural. Bricks are man-made. Stones are natural. First Peter chapter 2. Verse 4, coming to him as a living stone, rejected by man, but choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture, behold, I lay in Zion. A choice stone, a precious cornerstone. He who believes in him shall not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. And to this doom they were also appointed. We who believe are living stones. Choice, choice and precious to God. They took tar and tried to glue their bricks together. Instead of mortising, notching, fitting them together. Jesus is building a spiritual house out of living stones. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 9, that we, the believers, are God's building. And again in Ephesians 2, 20, he writes that we are a building being fitted together and growing into a body. A holy temple in the Lord dwelling, the dwelling of God in the Spirit. And again in chapter 4, the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies causes the growth of the body into the building. You see, mortising is not easy work. It takes hammer and chisel. 
Some of us want a little dab to do us. But God is notching. He's building. He doesn't use bricks and tar. His building method is living stones. Nimrod would have built a massive tower, one that have touched heaven. And so make a name for himself. But God's way is not building like that. To make a name. God's way is building out. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Go into all the world, make disciples. Nimrod said, let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad. Anytime we seek self-preservation, we are operating in the flesh. For Jesus says we must lose ourselves to truly find ourselves. There's a great difference between making a name and receiving one. Jesus says in Revelation 2.17, To him who overcomes, to him who overcomes, I will give a new name written on white stone, which no one knows except the one who receives it. When we try to build a tower around a truth, a revelation, we place ourselves in a precarious position. Towers can be dangerous. You can fall off. You can get thrown off, pushed off. There's always someone trying to push you back so they can get ahead of you. And the higher you are up on the tower, the longer you have to fall. You've heard of Trump Tower, Sears Tower, Eiffel Tower. Leaning Tower of Pisa. How about Baptist Tower? Methodist Tower? Charismatic Tower? Faith Tower? Discipleship Tower? Covenant Tower? Bobby Crawford Tower? <laughs> Just kidding, man. Franklin Covenant Tower. You perched on any tower this morning? Are you safe and comfortable in the city of your own little truth today? God never wanted a tower. Neither has he ever been interested in the brick and mortar of men. He's seeking a city, a household made of lively stones. Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house, to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him and lot with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. 
Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and set out for the land of Canaan. And so they came to the land. And Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. And the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And then he proceeded from there to the mountain to the east of Bethel, pitched his tent with Bethel on the west, Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. Abraham caught God's vision. Vision of a land, a great nation, of a city. He was a man of many possessions, great wealth. He had built up an accumulation. But God saw in Abram a man who had not tried to build a tower or a city. Everything Abraham had, he took with him. We should never build anything that we can't fold up and take with us overnight. Abraham dwelt in tents. He became a pilgrim, a sojourner, and he journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. Remember, new wine requires new wineskins. Hebrews chapter 11. Sorry, we're ping-ponging through the scripture this morning. Hope no one gets dizzy. Hebrews 11.8 By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place where, which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise, for he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose architect and builder was God. The city of Babel today is a rubble heap. Historians, somewhat, for the most part, doubt it ever existed. But the scripture says it was there. It's decayed, a forgotten memory. But the family of Abraham, a pilgrim, a sojourner, a man looking for a city, he gave us Moses, Joshua, Elijah, David, the Messiah, and is still giving to this world. When the towers are gone and the bricks are crumbled, the family, Melissa, lives on. This is the story of our family. The family lives on. The living stones through whom God lives and manifests himself to a groaning creation. Are we seeking that same city that Father Abraham went looking for? That city whose architect and builder is God. Numbers 13 and 14, we have the record of Moses sending out the spies into the land of Canaan. 
They chose twelve. One from each tribe. Israel left Egypt on its way to Canaan, the promised land, a land of milk and honey, a land of inheritance where they would be finding wells they did not dig, vineyards they did not plant, cities they did not build. For generations it had been drilled into the heart of every Jew. There's a land of promise. One day, one day will be set free. One day will enter. One day we'll see it. And as they left Egypt, they knew that soon, very soon, they would find the fulfillment of their dreams. At last, they would occupy that land. Every tribe would find their inheritance. Every Jew his place. So the spies are sent out. The report comes back. Yes, Moses, it is as you say. It overflows. It's fantastic. It's unbelievable. It's overflowing. But there's strong people there. Anax descendants, Nephilim. So it's no use to go in. We will surely be overcome. Would that we had died. In Egypt, or in this wilderness, take me back to Egypt. Moses falls on his face. They vote to stone him. And the anger of God is kindled. And in verse 26 of chapter 14 of Numbers, God makes a decision. Israel, who left Egypt as a pilgrim people, now is judged and their judgment is to wander. No longer slaves to Egypt. They're not going back, but a new bondage. Proverbs 27, 8 says, like a bird that wanders from her nest, so is a man who wanders from his home. A pilgrim May do a lot of wandering, but he has direction. He knows where he's going. A wanderer, on the other hand, has no goal, no direction. Both are on the move, but only one is going somewhere. Every one of us qualifies as either a wanderer or a pilgrim. Israel was in the wilderness, and all were wanderers, except for three. Of all the millions, only three. Many in the church are lost in the wilderness, wandering. Yes, we're born again. Yes, we're no longer slaves to an Egyptian bondage. But are we wandering, roaming? Do we know where we're going? Are we like a rolling stone? No direction home? Or are we pilgrims and strangers traveling this worrisome land? Looking for that yonder city not made by human hands. 
Which am I today? Wanderer or pilgrim? All over this world, an army of ordinary people are seeking a land, seeking a country, seeking a city. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 that Abraham, Sarah, Noah, Enoch, Abel, and all the other people of faith in the Hall of Fame, without receiving the promises, died in faith, confessing that they were strangers and exiles in the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. Our relatives. Our family. God prepared a city for them. Has he prepared a city For us. Indeed he has. Hebrews 12, 22. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels and to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. And in verse 28 it says, we have a kingdom which cannot be shaken. It cannot be shaken. The books of Nehemiah and Ezra are accounts of events surrounding the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down and trampled underfoot during many years of agonizing captivity. And in Ezra 3, 1, we read, And when the seventh month was come, the children of Israel were in the cities. The people gathered themselves as one man to Jerusalem. All across the world today, the Spirit of God is calling the children of Israel. To come to Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. And all across the earth today, Israel, spiritual Israel, the church, is hearing and answering the call. It is the age of the spirit, not of the flesh. We do not gather at physical Jerusalem, but spiritual Jerusalem. We are being gathered together in the spirit and in truth. Though this Israel, this army of people is spread across the whole earth, Africa, China, Russia, America, yes, even England. Though we speak different languages, as God's truth marches on in these last days throughout the globe, we are hearing God's call to be done with our towers. To be done with brick and mortar. To fold up our tents and come together in this seventh month age in spirit and truth and come as lively stones. 
placing ourselves in the hands of our chief cornerstone, Christ himself, the master stone layer, and to be built into that city, having the glory of God. It's time to answer that call. Open my eyes, Lord, that I might see you. With clear vision. It's time to answer the call and as pilgrims to move from one campsite to another, picking up a truth here and a revelation there on our way. Some of our brethren have stopped one campsite too short. But it's God's desire that all his pilgrims, all his pilgrims come into that city. And discover our place on the walls of our house. And as we find that place, he brings forth in us the ministry and gift that is our building tool. Our drum. And not only do we find our spiritual dwelling place, but we find that geographical place where we fit in. Where he wants us to function in the body. Revelation 21. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth were passed away. No longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. And he shall dwell among them. They shall be his people. God himself shall be among them. Verse 11. Verse 10. He carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. And he showed me this holy city, Jerusalem. Coming down out of heaven. Having the glory of God. Her brilliance. Her brilliance. Was like costly stone. Clear cut jasper. Gates and angels and precious stones of every kind are mentioned here. Purest gold. The foundation of this city. This city, the foundation of our lives, clear glass, precious stones, the Lord God himself is in the midst of his people. In Genesis chapter 28, we find Jacob having a dream. He dreams about a ladder being let down from heaven with angels walking up and down. And he awoke from that dream and he set up a stone pillar and he poured oil on it and called it the house of God. For 400 years, descendants of Jacob believed that that area around that pillar was God's house. After all, did not God appear to Jacob there? 
generations later. God took Moses and showed him a plan for a tabernacle, which would be pitched in the wilderness and folded up and moved from place to place. And no longer did Israel look to Jacob's rock as God's house. Now they turned to the tabernacle. For the tabernacle was God's house. Years passed. And along came David. And David desired to build a house greater than the tabernacle had been. So he made plans. And when he died, his son Solomon built that temple. And God filled it with his Shekinah glory. And no longer did Israel worship before a portable tabernacle. For they had the temple. But even though it was a building of majestic splendor, it was not the fullest revelation of the house of God. Along comes Jesus. And Jesus said, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. And God has made Jesus Christ the fullest and greatest and ultimate manifestation of God's house. The chief cornerstone of a many-membered body. A corporate house that God is building. And as God purges out every trace of darkness within us, our brilliance will become like the stone of crystal clear jasper. And as we are changed into that holy people without spot or blemish. And as uh, my brother Tim Bryant writes in his song that some of you have heard, God ain't coming for no ugly woman. Without spot or blemish. Got a lot of work to do, starting here. As he changes us into his holy people, God's streets will be paved with pure gold. And so the temple made of lively stones will go on to become not just the house of God, but the city of God, the city which we seek. We are that city. God always has 20-20 vision. He doesn't need to go to the optometrist every year. He has 20-20 vision. And this is his vision for us. It is clear, it is certain, and it is written. This is our present and future. It is clear, it is certain, and it is written. I want my eyes open to all that that means. All that it means. And may it be so in me. My future is bright. Our future is bright. It is written. It is certain. It is clear. Let's pray together.
how we rejoice this morning, Father, for who we are called to be. For the new name that you give us. You have changed us from darkness to light. From bondage to freedom. And now we are the children of the living God. We praise you today that you've included us in that call and that vision. What an eternity we have. What a present we have. Because we can walk in that. And we give you praise this morning for who we are in Jesus Christ. May we never forget, moment by moment, who we are and who we're called to be. And we bless you today in the name of Jesus. Amen.